Charlie McGee is a healthy eight-year-old girl, normal in every way. Charlie, now watch what you're doing. But one. Did she do that? What are you going to do with her? I'll bring her here so you can do all your tests and you give her to me. Charlie has the power. Do something bad. Our responsibility is getting her ready. Our responsibility is to protect her. Charlie? If they catch her, they're going to put her in a cage. Charlie? They're going to run tests on her for the rest of her life. We'll never see her again. If who catches me? Hello! Welcome back to the Wages of Cinema. Phew! Phew! I'm throwing my firebombs at you. Phew! <laughs> I'm throwing them at one movie in particular. Phew! Phew! <laughs> and not so much at the other one. Uh, <laughs> we're back with another one of our Versus episodes. Which we have not done, actually, in quite a while. I'm glad that we are uh, watching something a little bit old and something a little bit new. And we'll get into uh, very quickly uh, which one we definitely prefer and which one we want to kill with. Uh, well, <laughs> we, what would be another word to throw in instead of kill it with fire? Kill it with boredom. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> kill it with... Uh, kill it with like a bubble bath or something like that. <laughs> kill it with like... A bubble bath with full of boiling acid. <laughs> For you Batman Forever fans. Um, yeah, so we watched uh, both versions of Firestarter. Um, the one that's from uh, 1984, uh, directed by Mark Lester, and the new one... Um, that's directed by a uh, name redacted for legal reasons. Yeah, and <laughs> before we go into comparison, we're going to start by talking about why the 2022 version is a war crime. Yeah, by the way, I'm Jack, and with me is... Trash Panda Corey, but even I, a trash panda, have no use for this kind of trash. Well, you know, I, I mean, I... It's funny, I teach my students uh, a story, actually, called On Dumpster Diving. <laughs> and I think that after a lifetime of movies, I think you, you know, understand as a fine dumpster diver of cinema <laughs> <laughs> what you should consume and what will make you sick and throw up and will leave you in an alley with, you know... Uh, you know, the gout. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and just to get into it, uh, the 2022 uh, Blumhouse, uh, I, I, don't even, I guess you could call it a remake, uh, reimagining, reboot, fuck, uh, you know, it, this is the new one. And, I, yeah, uh, my, my first thing to tell you is don't go see the new movie. Yes, no matter what. Even if you're someone like us who likes So Bad It's Good movies, don't see it. It's terrible. It's But it's terrible in an incredibly boring way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, this new one, uh, the director is Keith Thomas. I just wanted to to look him up. Uh, he's, he's, I think, a pretty, like, a new director. He only has a couple other credits on uh that I could see online. Like he did some movie called the vigil, which I've never heard of. And, um, and yeah, uh, th this is, 
it, it, you know, I, I flashed back to uh, the scene in Bowfinger where Eddie Murphy is kind of on, his character is on one of his rants as Kit Ramsey, and he's describing a scene in a script that he's having to look through, and he, you know, describes it, and then he's, you know, it's it's too thoughtful for him, or it's too complicated. He's like, damn, we're trying to make a movie here, not a film. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my thought. Uh, through a lot of this is thing is I think this director really thought he had something a lot deeper to say with Firestarter, and it it it, it kills the movie because of it. it. It kills whatever he was trying to do because he thinks I have to shoot this in a completely dour and serious way. I have to shoot this like everyone is you know, talking like this is the most serious, um, event, uh, you know, it, and it's, it's not, it's about a fucking girl who gets, uh, powers because of her parents who were experimented on in some government program. And, you know, you're treating it like this is like a Lars von Trier movie. Yeah. The tone of the movie is awful. You nailed it. It's drab, it's ponderous, it's self-important while being totally vacant. Actually, now I said Lars von Trier. That might be giving them this too much credit. <laughs> At least there, you might get like a talking fox or something like that. Uh, here, yeah, it's just... it. And and for those... Yeah, for those who don't know, like, this comes from a Stephen King book. Um... You know, it's, I think it might be the first time Blumhouse has done a Stephen King adaptation, um, and in this in this new, in this new film, I, you're just watching a whole lot of nothing happening. You're watching a lot of tropes, a lot of just things that we've seen so many times, involving like little girl who has these special abilities. And yet, nothing about it feels fresh. Everything about it, even down to just, you know, the the whole shorthand trope of, you know, at one point she's drawing, like, a dark, you know, twisted image to, like, show what's going on inside her soul. Yeah, everything about this is utterly generic. And what I said to you when we left... This movie features some of the worst acting I've literally ever seen in a major studio release intended for wide release. Yeah, yeah, and and even from actors who you've seen do good work before, like you know the, the movie stars Zac Efron, and on our on our way back from the movie theater, you had this uh, interesting comment about him. Where why don't you tell the listeners what you said? I said one thing I noticed during the movie is that Zac Efron had a totally inexpressive face. He never made facial expressions. His face was just utterly placid and empty throughout the entire movie. And if you're an actor with a totally inexpressive face, that's kind of a problem. And I wouldn't consider myself, like, some big Zac Efron fan or anything. I haven't seen most of his movies, to be honest. Well, he, but he was good in Neighbors, so well, I yeah, can act. Yeah, the Neighbors movies, he was good. He was even fine in that Orson Welles movie. Yeah. I mean, he, he can be emotional in a film. Yeah, I haven't seen, obviously, the uh, 
like the high school musical movies you know yeah. I'm, I'm of a certain age i don't have to but like let me just refresh myself with you know some of the things well i haven't seen the greatest showman um oh you know he was okay it wasn't a very good movie but he was he was trying something in uh when he played ted bundy what did you think of him in the beach bum i haven't seen that Oh, right. I don't think he had a big role in that. I, I believe he had a... It was kind of more of a supporting role. He wasn't in it. He didn't leave an impression on me either way, uh -huh. to give you... To, to say it like that. I, I... But the thing is, with him... Like, there are other actors here, though, who you and I have seen in other things be good, though. Like, Kurtwood Smith it plays Dr. Wanless. Like, that's... He's the character in you know the all, all the versions of this story who was the one who kind of created this whole program that made uh the zach efron and uh and sydney lawrence plays like the mom sydney uh, lemon sydney Le lemon i was close enough uh i had the <laughs> I, I get the initials right um they, they play the parents of uh charlie um he played by ryan Kara armstrong and you know, I, I mean, I haven't seen her in anything, but, like, there are other actors here, though, like, um, you know, John Beasley, he's been in a lot of things. He's actually had, like, the one decent moment in this movie, which we'll get to. Um, you were telling me about Gloria Rubin was in some stuff. Yeah. Those of you, if there are any ER fans in the listening audience, you know Gloria Rubin is a good actress. She was... Um, part of the main cast of ER for years, she's awful. Yeah. In this movie. Well, well, the thing is, no one is, and, and also it, there's also like a, a Native American actor too. What was his name? Michael Gray Eyes is the name of the actor who I don't think I've ever seen him in anything. I'm just scrolling through his credits. It. He's terrible. It's like if you took like a young West Studi and just drained him of like. 90% of his charisma and like and he just doesn't have any screen presence here nobody has leaves any presence everyone is super muted and treating like this situation again like like it's a super grim occurrence where and everyone and sometimes characters are speaking like hushed tones and it's laughable there are times where this is laughable and I it and it's like, do you understand what kind of story you're telling here? You're again, this is a story that involves characters who have telekinesis, who had the power to control fire, um, to throw at people and to set people on fire, and yet I never feel any tension. I've never, I never felt any, you know, suspense. Or, you know, or even just on the other side of it, and we'll talk about this probably with the 84 film, just the joy of seeing actors, you know, having a good time with material that is maybe not the freshest. Yeah, because a movie like this doesn't have to actually be a good, dramatically satisfying movie to work for me. If they had just decided to kick back and have some fun... yeah. Well, I told you, the Gloria Rubin performance, I actually thought my, like, psychoanalysis of her performance was that she was going to try for camp, but became very self-conscious that she was actually yeah. acting. 
because her performance is both kind of campy but also very stiff. Yeah, yeah. And again, and I, I didn't really say like the full premise of the movie, but I think if you've seen the trailer, you, you get the idea that, you know, these, these, again, Zach Efron and Lemon, they, they, they have this child who can do fire. They're on the run from the government. They're not, they're trying to keep a low profile. Of course, that doesn't last long. And then, you know, characters, some characters live, some characters don't. And it leads to the big showdown at the big secret government facility. Um, I think another big problem I had with this, and again, I know it's, you might think, well, why you keep comparing to the 84 film? You know, why doesn't it just rest on its own? But even on its own, this feels like weirdly small and contained. And it's like for a movie that has such elements like this, it's like, it doesn't feel like there are a lot of people in this movie. That is such a good point. That like the, it's che- it's cheap. They were, but it's it's because they wanted to cut corners and save on shit. Yeah, it's not endearingly cheap. Mm-hmm. It's soul deadeningly cheap. But that's such a good point too. That for instance, we know that both Charlie's parents, we know Charlie's parents were part of a pretty significant experiment, and we know the experiment was going on for a long time because at one point. Rainbird says, oh, by the time they were experimenting on, like, the pretty young college co-eds, they had already been experimenting on people like me. So we're led to believe that this has been a pretty extensive experiment. And one thing, if this movie had wanted to distinguish itself from the 84 movie, maybe it could have done more world building about the role of these experiments within our military within our government right yeah no that's a great point too that it's it 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 does the thing where over like the opening credits of the movie it has like these flashes of like surveillance footage shot really cruddily with like big like close-ups of uh efron and lemon and you're like that they're and that's supposed to give you the entire impression about what this experiment was like instead of spending all of this drab, point you know, repetitive time seeing the same shit we've seen in so many movies, where Charlie's in school getting bullied. Oh no, what's she gonna do? Oh, uh, we have to try to help her. We have to protect her. All that stuff. That's not very. That's not interesting. What would be interesting is showing us how dangerous this government organization is. We're supposed to just take for granted that you know shadowy government group but like how are we supposed to know that yeah they are incredibly lazy with this movie and the all the actors have so little chemistry with each other yeah if you had told me they all filmed their scenes in isolation on a green screen (laughs) and then were like edited together well well you know frankly because of COVID, they might have been <laughs> doing at least some of it, you know. Like, they probably were very far apart on set. But, and like... <laughs> chemistry can take many forms. I feel like film critics talk about yeah. it just talking about, like, romantic chemistry. But there are many other types of chemistry in a movie. Like, for instance, did Zac Efron ever feel like he was actually Charlie's father? No! 
No, that's that's a great point. Yeah, he doesn't really have chemistry with uh, the act the actor playing the mom. But yeah, he never has any sense of like this is a this is a dad who's been going through a lot with his daughter. They and that's why it also cripples the rest of the movie because at a certain point they get separated. And, you know, she's going to find her way back to him somehow. I'm not going to necessarily... I, well, I, I should reveal details. I want you people seeing this movie. Yeah, don't see this movie. No, like, it's a trick. Like, she gets lured to the lab, um, you know, to to, co- to the dad. But it's really uh, the John Raintree who's calling her. Which, oh my god, I'm going to get back to that in a moment. But But you're right. Like, that was something that... For all of the campiness and like ludicrous points in the '84 film, you believed that the dad and the daughter were like, you know, a father and daughter. Yeah, the father in the 1984 version, the father's love for his child just radiates off every scene. Yeah, yeah. The actor was David Keith. He he's been in a lot of things, and of course, the the daughter, uh, one of Drew Barrymore's famous early roles. And that's another thing, too. I think, you know, you, it doesn't help maybe watching this two days before you watch the new film. But Drew Barrymore's performance, like, it wasn't perfect. Like, we, there were certain little moments where it's she was kind of bad. But on the whole, it, she was very believable as just this kind of scared child who was going through a lot and trying to keep a semblance of herself. Whereas this actress... She plays the same tone through the whole movie, and it's just, I ne- it's like, I don't believe you as a child. You seem like you're playing, like, an adult in a tiny person body. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're gonna secretly find out you're, like, uh, I forget on The Simpsons where, like, Hans Molman was, like, Bart Simpson. <laughs> At one point, am I imagining that? You're not imagining that. Were you thinking of Orphan 2? Were you <laughs> Yeah, kind of like Orphan. God, if that had taken that turn, maybe that would have made the movie... At least it would have been a choice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that Because the, char- yeah, the, the actors don't have any sense that they've known each other for, like, their entire lives. Or even, like, you know, there's a there's a, supposed to be a key scene where um, the glory... The, uh, Blah, the, the Gloria Rubin character, like she, um, she she goes to see Kurtwood Smith. Um, I get, I don't know what exactly for. I guess to get his help, even though he's just like, ran. There, there was a whole backstory with his character. I was curious about that they didn't really get to. Where like, he was just like sitting by the windowsill, like pouring like sugar. Yeah, it looked like pixie sticks. Yeah, what? Well, what? I don't even get that. It, that felt like. I want to know what that story is, and I, I just, you know, it, and yeah, you don't get any chemistry, there's, and the one point in the movie where maybe a little bit of life could happen, that kind of gets squashed, because they go to the, you know, the farmer guy, thank you, Corey, she's holding up letterbox and helping me out here. You're awesome. Um, John Beasley is, like, the farmer guy. If you saw the 84 film... Uh, Art Carney, that was kind of like that character. Although they kind of, it was funny, they kind of conflated a detail in, from the 84 film and the, and the book where it's like they, they, they get into a cab and they try, and 
the dad uses his like telekinesis to make a one dollar bill look like a five hundred dollar bill and here they just do that with the farmer only for some reason they make it a hundred dollar bill and it's like why change it like that like make it a five hundred dollar bill it's weirder (laughs) but anyway yeah john beasley is like the one guy who kind of gets a couple little moments even though i kind of cringed because he like there's a random moment where like he just goes on a thing about like oh you do because zach efron's character says he's a life coach um and john b's like oh i know you like tony robbins i saw the netflix movie you know he he curses a lot but he seems to have a good like what are you talking about (laughs) I want that scene to just end. <laughs> There's so many times I'm watching this movie and I'm just groaning. I'm just groaning. Yeah. <laughs> because there's nothing worse than a lifeless, empty shell of a film. Yeah. And even, like, I don't know if you noticed it in the credits, um, John Carpenter did the score for the movie. I You told me before we saw it that he was going to do yeah, it. Yeah. This is... Even his score, like he does, this, he does scores now with his son and someone else. Um, they did the music for the Halloween movies. Um, even that, even the music is just very perfunctory. Autopilot. And not, yeah, very. It seemed like Jason Blum was like, "Hey, we really need your help. Try to save our movie." And John Carver's like, "Well, I'll try my best." <laughs> he. It's amazing that thinking about like. This is the second time I've, I've John Carpenter has been connected with a horror movie this year. Do you remember the other one? What was the other one? Studio Six Six Six. Oh wow! Do you you probably forgot all about that? He pops up in that for like a minute. We actually like Studio Six Six Six, and Studio Six 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 showed us you can make a movie full of people who can't act like at all. <laughs> And it's still entertaining if you have the right tone. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, like, the tone is the thing. Like, the tone for this movie, it's it's one of the most tonally wrong movies that we've had in a theater for years. And and, and that's the other thing. It's like, this movie is a, a Blumhouse release that they, they've been putting out a lot of films direct to Hulu and Amazon. Like, we watched some of them, didn't we? We did an episode about that, didn't we? We did the Into the Dark. Yeah, and I look back at that, and, you know, those varied in quality, but I would I would re-watch a couple of those more any mo- minute before this. They were all better than this. Every, we watched, I think, six Into the Dark movies for our series, and then I watched another one with Ashley, and they were all better than this, even the bad ones. I don't understand how this even like got a theatrical release. Like, were, were the test scores like that good enough that they didn't just decide, "Yeah, we'll dump it on streaming"? Uh, and I know technically you can actually watch this movie, I think, on Peacock. Yeah, which is the only. It's so low rent. It's the only streaming service we don't have. We are. Well, when I say we, I mean me. I'm a primo couch potato, so we have pretty much every streaming service except for Peacock. Even we don't go that low. No, no. And, man, when I think about it, like, Blumhouse has been on, like, not a great streak lately. Because 
you know, the they did Halloween Kills. Ugh. They did the Forever Purge. Ugh. Which is yeah, you can go you can go back and listen to lots of Corey going ah! <laughs> <laughs> like that. Uh, what was the last good Blumhouse movie That's we watched? That's a really watched? good point because they made that terrible Fantasy Island movie too. That's oh the right, joint, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that might have been pushed back because of the pandemic. But yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, was that pre-pandemic though? I think it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, I think it was like right before the pandemic. Right. Yeah. No, but they've had a. What happened to them? <laughs> That's a really good point. This movie, I think you're right. It doesn't feel like it's made for theaters. It's so kind of low-key and empty. It feels made to be background noise when your phone's scrolling or cooking or doing laundry or something. I would go further. I don't even think it's worth, like, Netflix or Hulu. It should be, like, an actual direct-to-video movie. Like, Uh put this on fucking Redbox. That reminds me, I read um, an article, or when I say I read an article, I mean I read a headline and the opening sentences of an article about how apparently... You you, you know you sound like the character in Knives Out, right? I know, I know. (laughs) That apparently the company that back when we were like teenagers released all those chicken soup for the soul books has acquired Redbox. Wow. That, good for them. Wow. <laughs> Chicken soup for the red box. Wow. <laughs> red box for the soul. Wow. But yeah, and again, I think this is... Oh, and also, too, it's just... Where the movie... Where this movie ultimately ends up, also, like... I I was really kind of just annoyed through a lot of the movie. I was rolling my eyes at points. Uh, the John Raintree character in this was so frustrating because it like the actor for one thing was just so it's one thing to be low key it's another thing to be a flat line <laughs> so there was that but then like the end of the movie comes up and like he become he's suddenly like the hero yeah it was so weird now one big change between this and the 84 version is I feel like Rainbird is a much bigger character. I kept calling him Raintree, sorry. Rainbird. Yeah. I feel like Rainbird is a much bigger character in the nineteen eighty four movie, mainly because George C. Scott's delivering an excellent <laughs> oh, performance. Oh yeah. Oh we gotta talk about him more in a little and bit. And Michael Grey Eyes is delivering a performance I, that would get you kicked out of your high school play. I, I had to lean over to you because you know, his in a way his character in this version I think he's trying to serve like the function more of like an Anton Chigurh from like No Country for Old Men. He he's the character who's you know this mysterious you know psycho ex you know executioner who won't stop. But I he, but he's I had to lean over to you and I made the pun. He's like Anton Chabor, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still happy with that. But there's a key point. There's a turning point here where. Also, unlike in the '84 version and the, and the book, in the book and and the the original movie, like I I started to read the book, I didn't get too far. But one thing that was consistent in those two is that the mother dies from an like an accident that was caused by Charlie, I believe. 
I think that was it, no, right? No, I think we're supposed... No, the mother is killed by the agents that are trying to get Charlie. Oh, oh, okay. I, I was wrong about that. No, I, th I for some reason, I, th I thought I remember Charlie killed her, but by accident. No, he just she just sets her on fire, and then, like, they put her out. All right. But my point is, in this one, Rainbird is the one that kills her. Yeah. And yet, by the very end of the movie... Charlie and John and John Rainbird are like, eh, all right, let's let's go together. We're buddies now. No, 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 no. Like you, like this is the moment where you need to do like, you know, you, rip it off for all I care. But like, X Men First Class. <laughs> you, I thought about that. You know, you need to have that moment. Everything you say is right, except for one thing: you killed my mother, dead. <laughs> like. She, he killed her mother, and suddenly she's like, no, I'm going to take your hand and, like, go in your arms, and we're going to, like, walk together now. What the fuck are you doing? The other thing, too, Charlie knows he killed her mother. Yeah. He held her, like, he briefly kind of held Charlie with a knife to her throat in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and then, like, because he comes in and, like, kills like the other agents who might keep, take charlie away again suddenly he's the sympathetic one well he doesn't have enough screen time to have an actual arc I, yeah no but i'm sorry and I, I thought i was about to cut you off no go for it no but like well i think the backstory we're supposed to have here is he was yeah as you as you said earlier he was experimented on originally as part of this uh this program um in the book in the in the movies it's called the shop and it's like called like lot six i think is the chemical and and yet it, it seems a little vague it's too vague like he also has like the psychic abilities but like why is he like an agent then for this government like it makes more sense at least in the 84 film he's just a psycho you know a you know, ex, you know, hitman guy. He, <laughs> and he does, like, you don't need to give him powers. He's already a weirdo. <laughs> they even, there's even a line in the 2022 movie where they ask him, why do you work for this agency who abused you in this way? And of course he does not have a reasonable. No, no. Like you would want to get away from those people. At least in, again, at least in the 84 film, it, he, you know, he's just, I don't even know why necessarily he's working for them, but it's just because it's one of those shadowy government things where you hire out people who are a little unhinged. <laughs> and uh, to, to transition a little bit into the 84 movie, because I want to talk about that for yeah. a second. I mean, so in that movie, for those who haven't seen it, that actually has a pretty stacked... Uh, Hollywood cast, like aside from Drew Barrymore, well, I remember a number of these, but you know, Freddie Jones uh, was uh, Doctor Wanless. You had Martin Sheen as like the the captain character, Captain Hollister, who in the new one is uh, Gloria um, Ruben. Ruben, thank you. And Art Carney, like I said, was also in it. Louise Fletcher pops up in it. That was, by the way, an odd change that they made, where like she's like the wife is like a is just you know completely bedridden from a car accident that that seemed like an odd detail that just i don't know what that was there for 
You're right. I think it was another attempt to try to give the movie a kind of gravitas it doesn't have. No, none at all. And then, of course, oh, Moses Gunn was in it, too. Antonio Fargas, who is one of those actors for me, like uh, um, like Harry Dean Stanton or M. Emmett Walsh, where he's in a movie I know it will at least be good-ish. <laughs> um, he just pops up for a couple minutes. And then, of course, again, uh, and George C. Scott. Now... Um, George C. Scott, it's interesting because you could say, well, why do you have this white guy playing a Native American? A, you watch him in the movie and I never think like, oh, he's putting on brown face. He's being a, a, a stereotype. He's just this guy. <laughs> like he creates this completely original weirdo dude who has like a fake eye or it looks like a, a, a fake eye and he's able to track down the, uh, the characters. Uh, and, and in that film, in the 84 movie, the, 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 the father and daughter are on the run for the first half. Then they get captured and the rest and the second half of the movie is them at this facility. And because of that though, like Rainbird is, you know, he takes it on himself to be the one, or he's also ordered to as well, but he's the one who's going to connect with Charlie. And I really like that in the movie. Like all the scenes between Drew Barrymore and George C. Scott are like really kind of wonderful. Yeah. Rainbird is a great character in the 1984 movie. And George C. Scott just goes to town. Yeah. Yeah, he goes to town. He's like having a full meal with this performance. It's like, because you don't know, like, is he going to go really big? And he kind of does, but he's also, he's subdued as well. I, I don't know what you would say. What I said to you when we were watching the 1984 movie is George C. Scott's performance has big, like, end of his life Orson Welles energy. <laughs> where there's this I don't give a fuck element, but... He has just so much raw talent and charisma that even in like don't give a fuck mode, he just he just like knocks your socks off. Yeah, or like to an extent, Marlon Brando kind of had that too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's just so. And I, actually, it's funny though. This wasn't even near the end of George C. Scott's career. He worked for like another like fifteen years, I think. Wow. You thought he looked really old in the movie. It. It I mean, seemed like an end-of-career type movie to do. No, maybe. Well, it was not the end. Matter of fact, he was in movies that I was watching when I was a kid. He was in that movie Angus. Remember <laughs> Angus? I never saw Angus. Angus was uh, quite a meaningful movie for me as a kid. Because it was about, like, you know, it's like a fat kid who's getting picked on. I'm like, I feel for you, man. <laughs> but anyway, um... But yeah, George C. Scott brings it in the movie... Martin Sheen brings it, I thought, yes. in a couple of real key moments. What's also great in that movie is you get actual time. I almost thought at first maybe there could have been a little bit more fire stuff. We didn't even get touch on this subject yet in the two movies. In the 84 movie, you know, you finally do get like a giant climax that is really awesome and you get a couple other little moments, like at the farm, um, there's a big set piece. But also littered throughout in the second half, you see her, you know, part of her tr sort of experimentations 
is being forced to like set stuff on fire, you know, on video for these government people. Compared to all that, that's also like a major problem in this new movie. Because the fire stuff is just atrocious. Yeah. At least do that right. If you're not going to do anything else right, it's like, you know, don't... It's the same shit again, like, with Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> like, I'm coming to see someone get set on fire, and even that looks like crap. Yeah, the fire effects are much better in the 84 movie than the 2022 movie. Well, it's all... Well, it looked all real. Yeah. It looked all real. It was... It was... It looked very dangerous. In this new one, I would wager at least... More than half of it looked like CGI. Yeah, I doubt there was any actual fire on set. I think there must have been some. Like, some of it looked a little too real to not be that. But, like, the most of the rest of the time in this movie, this director loves to kind of keep a shot going or have, like, a head on... I, I was annoyed by the style at times where a, a face was, like, all the way on, like, one side of the screen. <laughs> I know that me probably weren't as annoyed by that, but I was. And like, and yet when it comes to actually showing the fire effects, he he cuts so quickly, you can't even tell sometimes that someone was set on fire. And and then there's there was even one moment where like Charlie she's about to go into the facility, and she gets into a car with this other agent and is kind of controlling her his mind. And then as he's reaching for a gun, she sets him on fire. That was almost like one of those moments where I was like, oh, you are almost getting there. This is almost kind of funny. <laughs> but maybe not intentionally, where, like, the guy is just sitting there like... <laughs> it's like a near-fire corpse. But, yeah. yeah, no, 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 No good fire stuff here, either. Yeah, the 1984 movie could definitely use more fire stuff, but the fire stuff they give you is really good in the 84 version. Yeah. Yeah, it, it gives you more... It definitely gives you more fire stuff. It's amazing to think that, like, this is a... This new movie is 20 minutes shorter and feels, like, 10 times longer. Yes, because I think you're right that the new movie, the real meat of the 1984 fire starter is the father-daughter relationship and the time in the facility. But in the 2022 one... The daughter isn't in the facility at all as a prisoner, and the father is in there in the facility for, like, one scene. Yeah. So... We don't even get a sense what this facility is. It's yeah. just generic facility place, you know, that they shot in, like, you know, maybe, like, an office building they got for a, a day or two because Jason Blum can't make a movie for more than $5 million. <laughs> me wrong i'm not gonna pretend the 1984 movie is some like masterpiece oh absolutely not no there are plenty of like kind of weird and like contrived things oh oh for sure no 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 question like there are definitely contrivances in that i mean just the fat house easily they even make it up to like albany i think it is that's supposed to be where they're going from new york city to albany to try to get away from the people and they're in that airport uh and so she sets that one guy's feet on fire well one thing i liked about 1984 is the 1984 movie starts with them already being chased uh, yes 
So even though it's a longer movie, it feels more fast paced because it starts kind of with the action already underway. Yes. And that's, that's a, yeah, that's a very, I was thinking about that too, watching the movie that it, you audiences, you should try to respect your audience that they can keep, they can actually keep up with it. If you could start something as you're in the middle of it, and maybe you can cut back a little bit to things in the past. That's also the, the structure in the book from what I read too, um, where they're already kind of mid chase. Whereas here they spend like a good 20, 25 minutes with all this boring ass school crap that we've seen, you know, again, a hundred million times. Um, you know, oh my God, there's a bully. Oh my God, there's strife at school. Oh no, what are we gonna do? Like, no, that's not interesting. Like, you're you're treating your audience like they're they've never seen a movie before. Yes, that is such a good point, especially because it's not like the plot is complex. It's really not. No, no, it's like char- it, It's it's it, I, <laughs> the, the the characters are on the run and as i also think i told you when we watched the a4 movie it's an incredible hulk story <laughs> it seems like it's an x-men story because of all the you know telekinetic abilities and you know girl is gonna go like hog wild and destroy everything like uh, jean gray but no this is someone who wants to be at peace people keep but people keep fucking with her she can't control it and she hulks out, but this, but this new movie, I, I don't really get that much of a sense of that. Like whenever, and she, you know, a couple of times she cries. It, you know, why couldn't like I want to see her maybe be a little bit happier at one point or two. Yeah, I think you're right that there's no range. That's exactly it. As we mentioned, the character of Charlie in the '84 version. There are, like, a handful of individual scenes where Drew Barrymore's performance doesn't really work, but she's actually playing a character with a wide range of emotions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and that was also the key thing with her and Rainbird, is that you saw, like, how he kind of is manipulating her, and yeah. how she, you know, it takes a little time, but, you know, he, you know, but she falls for it, and... He, I just remember too. There's a great scene with Rainbird and Martin Sheen where he just goes. He he has a monologue about how he's gonna like smash in their noses, and he, Martin Sheen just sitting there like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you you know, like you get the sense. Oh, this guy is really, you know, even though he's put on this act, like he's really a disturbed person, and you don't really get you don't get that sense here. That's why it's like. You know, maybe in a way, like, at the very end, well, uh, I mean, it's really stupid that she goes with the man who killed her mother, but... Uh. And what's funny is, <laughs> the 1984 version has a pretty stupid resolution, too, because after um, Charlie's father, Andy, is killed in the 1984 version... She goes back to visit Irv, played by Art Carney. Oh yeah! And oh, you! Oh, I totally forgot on the ending. And like, okay, I live with you now, strange farmer. 
all right. Uh, yeah, like I said, again, the the 84 movie, yeah, has it Yeah, the denouement of the 84 movie is pretty dumb and like the very last scene is them going to the New York Times <laughs> as if that is suddenly going to be like their ticket to salvation. Yeah, so when I say that the 2022 ending managed to be much dumber than the 1984 ending, it's a pretty high bar to clear. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, I I almost forgot about that. Yeah, that she goes back to Art Carney. And, I mean, she can't really do that in this one because it seems like the, the farmer dies in this one. Yeah. But even still, yeah, it... it uh, I just ultimately, I didn't care about anyone in this new movie. I just, I normally will turn off, have my phone completely turned off for the entire movie in a theater. You gotta, like, really rankle me to have me turn on my phone to check my the, the, how much longer we have. But I did that in this movie. Yeah. And, like, I, I looked and I checked and I saw, like, alright, we're almost there. <laughs> Cause, I checked too. Yeah, because how can you not? It, it, it's like barely anything happens. You know, everything that happens in this movie lasts like four hours. Yeah, it is. The pace is just punishing. I would recommend the nineteen eighty four movie, which is at least pretty consistently entertaining yeah no i i we've been talking so much smack about the 2022 movie i feel like the 84 one i don't know if we've given it enough of its due it's i called it a giant cheesy bread of a movie <laughs> it's it's very at times very it, it's that 80s stephen king cheese you know again this is one of his books that allegedly well, allegedly by Stephen King himself, <laughs> was written when he was on a lot of cocaine and drinking a lot. A lot. Um, I want to say he remembers writing this one. I don't know for <laughs> sure. Um, but, you know, it's it's a pot boiler. It's, it's a book that you are, you know, you can read, you know, pretty quickly. I would have finished more of the book. I just got a little busy this past week. Um and the 84 movie kind of reflects, I think, that spirit, even though it deviates uh, a, a bit from the story. Um, and it, you know, it has good special effects and violence. And, you know, like I said, Drew Barrymore, I mean, it's one of her most memorable early roles. And, yeah, if you want to check out the 84 one, I would recommend it with knowledge that, again, it's not. It's not like one of his, you know, one of the great Stephen King adaptations. Yeah, there are stupid things and contrivances in the 84 movie. And while the quality of the fire starting is very good, the quantity should be higher. A little bit 84. higher. Yeah, it could have been a little bit higher. Or maybe if she, maybe if they raised the stakes a little more in the experiments. Yeah. It's like the hard, the hardest they get is like burn through like this brick wall basically you know you should have maybe they could have done like burn this cow or something like that <laughs> you know make us like a whole bucket of fried chicken <laughs> by burning all the chicken at least the conclusion of the 84 movie is really good like the big um like they really go for it it's almost like if we're comparing this to king properties it's closer to something like Carrie in yes. terms of how 
they really go bonkers at the end when they finally let it go. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure Carrie must have been on King's mind. Like, you know, I'm gonna maybe I'll repackage this a little bit, but make you know the daughter younger, and it's more of a father daughter thing. But uh, but yeah, so that's our that's our takes on uh, Firestarter, yes. uh, the new one and the old one. Uh, kill it with, you know what? Kill it with kindness. <laughs> And the kindness would be not buying a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> the kindness would be letting this movie slink away and be immediately forgotten. Let it slink away into, like, the $5 bin at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, by this time next week, I will struggle to recall a single thing from Firestarter 2022. No, well, I'll, I'll recall, like... John Beasley having like one or two good lines, but then Zach Efron like killing it with his anti charisma here. Yeah, it's so weird how. <laughs> I think somebody <laughs> online, I think I read one review that said he seemed like he was like a hostage. That was what Vulture <laughs> said. I think in the Vulture review they said it feels like a Zach Efron hostage video. And they want to be like, blink twice to tell us you need help, Zach. But then he's but then he can't really blink because then he might bleed off his eyes. Yeah, I guess the people in 2022 Firestarter probably thought they were being the height of clever because he bleeds out of his eyes instead of his nose like he does in the 1984 uh, movie yeah that makes it better uh all right all right so anyway guys if you have seen either one of the fire starters or maybe even read the book uh in full uh give us an email wages of cinema gmail.com we're also on social medias uh, instagram facebook twitter all those places, um, you know, um, give us your thoughts, give us your conspiracy theories, tell us if maybe uh, Stephen King uh, is, you know, trying to make everything as bland as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, when we come back, maybe we'll have another, maybe better verses for you, or just a regular movie review. Uh, we're always cooking up stuff. Uh, hope you enjoy listening to this. Uh, until next time, I'm Jack. And I am Trash Panda Corey. And the wage of cinema is... Hugs! Throw a buck of the water on it. <laughs> Bye, everyone. But there are those who will do everything in their power to find her. To control her. Charlie! And maybe destroy her. Charlie! Come to me, Charlie. Go! You're gonna have to burn it down. I mean, burn it all down. Uh-huh.